We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aitlin is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, John Ellis, to recap another week of training camp and preseason football. John, what's going on? Hey, Billy, what's happening, man? Uh, interesting game in New England, interesting week in New England. Glad to be here to recap it with you. Absolutely, yes. Uh, a lot of things went down um, during the week of practice. Again, the practices were in Foxborough, uh, so John, unfortunately, did not get a chance to attend, but... Uh, I think that with the contingent of Panthers beat reporters and Patriots beat reporters and national reporters on hand, uh, we have a lot of information to di- digest from that week. Yes. So we'll get into that. Um, we will continue our new series of stock rising and stock falling, um, you know, on this show. So we'll do that at the end, uh, like we did last week. But first things first, John, um, I want to start with just my my overall opinion on preseason, and I'll get yours, you know, at the end of it. I think there's just a little bit too much criticism with certain players, especially rookies, in the preseason. And I get it. Like, trust me. Like, if you're seeing, um, you know, high expectations for rookies drafting the top ten, you want you know everything with these guys. You expect them to play very well from the start. But I just think, like, fundamentally, like, preseason, it is what it is. It's just not something I care about. Um, I obviously care about certain things as far as, like, just the performances. Not necessarily the performances, but just making sure you're, you know, playing the right players and just giving the most amount of snaps to these guys. Their performance in general, I don't care about. And I bring this up in relation to Iki Iquanu, okay? Because I, I just feel like he's getting treated very harshly and i don't think that's fair at all i think that yes he did give up a couple sacks it wasn't great uh but he's a first year guy we know the past pro issues are going to be a work in progress but i thought he bounced back and he looked good overall but people just want to look at two plays and then you know start a narrative from it and john i don't think that's fair at all i know you would agree with me 
Oh, 100%. I mean, this is something we need to address, and I'm glad you're starting the show with it because every season we go through this exercise of microanalyzing every single snap. And you know what? You and I take the time after the game to watch the film. That's why during the game we try to watch our comments and make sure that we're being fair. And when you look back at the film of that game, sure, there was a play where Aquanu was lit up by Kyle Duggar, and that sort of drove a little bit of a narrative, too, that, oh, boy, what he's good at is pancaking people. There's a safety putting him on his ass. Well, that happens. I mean, that happens every goddamn week in the NFL. You're going to see some of the best, biggest men in the league get out leveraged by very good, strong safeties in this league. It happens. But for what he brings you, for what he's supposed to be, a tone setter, a mauler, he comes out first play of the game and is pulling, which is not easy for a left tackle to do, by the way, gets out in space, gets leverage on Jonathan Jones, a corner, and pancakes him. And that's a great tone-setting start to a preseason game. Throughout the game, you saw some reps that weren't great. You, I believe it was uh, uh, the name escapes me of the edge players at Uche for the, the Patriots who got some leverage on him and got some lean and got low on him, and he gave up a couple of sacks. And that will happen. That's going to happen. And, and we knew that coming in with Aquanu that some of his technical skills as a pass blocker would need some refinement. But then he comes back, and I, I still look at him and Christensen working in concert. You put out some good film there at your Twitter account, BillyM underscore 91, and it, they did it again. It was two weeks in a row now where there were some crucial snaps in that game where Aquanu and Christensen had some nice reps together in the pass game and in the run game. So you got to look at the totality of the product. Uh, Twitter is what it is. I'm sure we're guilty of this to a certain extent, but I think you and I do a pretty good job of let's just turn the game. We can highlight some good things. There's a few things that are not good. We'll get to that also. But overall, when I looked at the tape again and I looked at Aquano, especially against their first team, Billy, especially against the Belichick defense where they throw you some different looks, I thought it was great from Matt Rule's perspective and the entire staff to, to format it this way, to give Aquano some quality snaps at left tackle against the Patriots' first team. I, I think it's going to pay dividends, honestly. Yeah, totally agree. And I think for the entire offense, to be quite frank with you, and I'm glad that they scheduled uh, a joint practice, um, no matter how productive it was, and we'll get to some of the things that went on there, uh, against this team, just because of the different looks they give you. Um, you know, they're very you know smart, the amount of attention to detail that their defense in particular um, puts on, uh, the defensive coaches put on their players. It's you know second to none in the league, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah, for sure. And I, I just want to be clear, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't criticize him. You should, but I, I just feel like some of the, uh, let's just try to give him some time. Let's give him like at least a year. And again, the comparison I made with you and I made it on Twitter yesterday when I was interacting with um, someone was Andrew Thomas. And again, Andrew Thomas did not have a good rookie year. He bounced back last year, and this year he looks like he's going to be, you know, the top five player that he was drafted to be. So, I, and I just think patience is something that we should, you know, really keep in mind with him. I, I, I even if he has his struggles and his moments where, um, you know, he's not looking uh, like a top five player this year, I, I do think that uh, just his overall like smarts and his. IQ, it will help him in the long run. And so I just think everyone needs to be patient with that. So um, I want to transition now to the week of practice. And again, we don't 
really have much information about who did well, who didn't do well. And I don't want to spend too much time on that either. But I think the biggest storyline was the amount of altercations that were occurring between the Panthers and the Patriots. And Mm -hmm. uh, depending on who you listen to, it it sounds like there were a few players on the Panthers who went out of their way to start these altercations. Uh, I'm not absolving the Patriots in this at all. Again, I don't know the full story. I'm just reading it from you know what beat reporters on the ground are telling me especially non-biased ones guys that cover like the panthers john i i don't think it's productive to travel up north and get into these type of fights and altercations i believe you referenced a quote by jeremy chin that said hey we're just here to practice football not get into all that but it seems like that wasn't even the case because they they're losing valuable practice reps with all this nonsense 100% Billy Marshall. I, I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, this you have a limited window, and I had a great opportunity on Friday to talk to a couple guys who have played at a high level. Ben Bulware, who's former, you know, national champion linebacker for Clemson, spent a training camp with the Carolina Panthers under Ron Rivera, spent a training camp with Kyle Shanahan out in San Francisco, and Darian Rencher, who of course did a rookie camp with the Panthers this year. And I, I posed this question to them on our show on iHeartRadio about, you know, how how do you manage that as a player? And they both said from the perspective of a guy that needs the reps, they hate it. They hate it because the, these guys at the, at, the, at the bottom tier that are trying to scratch the 53 need every rep they can get. And Boer was saying, you know, I, I'd be standing around doing nothing. I'm scout team. I'm – get my ass kicked, and I'm just trying to get in there and put out some tape. And I think Jeremy Chin also, you mentioned what he had said. I don't have the quote in front of me, but he was spot on. And he let it be known that, hey, we're not up here to fight. We're not up here to waste time. Getting reps in is paramount. You know, the Bills came down here back in 2019. It was physical. It was tough during training camp, but there was none of that. You know, the, the Ravens last year, one of the more physical, one of the bigger teams in the NFL physically came down here. And it was a very productive couple of days. I was there for both of these, you know, joint practices. And it gets chippy with New England. And we even talked about this, Billy, on this podcast last week that, number one, expect a lot of chippiness. Number two, don't look at the box score too much during the game because you're going to see some mismatches there. But you cannot waste time during practice. When the team is, you know, five wins in a row, two years in a row, you're 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 going to have to start tightening it up a little bit. And I understand, you know, McCaffrey was a part of that. He spiked the ball. I appreciate the fact that Baker was in the middle of it, that you're trying to defend your guys. But when you've got, you know, second string defensive or offensive linemen throwing people into stands and a lady gets her foot landed on, you're getting into dangerous territory, Billy. And and God. it's just beyond that part of it, it's such a time bandit. I mean, you know, you said it best. You just need that valuable time. With the current CBA the way it is, you have such a limited window to get shit done. And I just hated it. But, you know, I'm not putting Matt Rule on a box here and saying it's his fault. I'm not putting Belichick over there and saying it's your fault. It is what it is. It got physical. Just got to get a handle on your team and make sure all the lessons you're preaching to them about discipline, 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 run laps, do this, they're actually taking hold. And I didn't see it in those practices necessarily from either team because I'm not here to say, you know, who started what. 
obviously Kenny Robinson gets thrown out twice. Um, and then he comes back and, and does some good things in that preseason game. So I'm glad they didn't cut Kenny Robinson. I'll just say that. You know, I, I think it's one of those things where this happened last year. A guy was fired on the spot. Kenny's a draft pick. Uh, things happen. Just, you know, hopefully the message will get across to him. But, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the fight. But, obviously, they're coming away from this with a lot of good reps against a very quality team, and that's what matters. Yeah, for sure. And I'll just reference a couple of things here. Mike Reese, who's been covering the Patriots for you know almost three decades, maybe. I don't even know how long. He said this is he's never seen this at a Belichick practice before. And the Patriots, uh, they host like multiple joint practices every training camp. So yeah. this isn't new to them. And I think they're actually going to uh, Las Vegas uh, for a joint practice with the Raiders this week. So right. uh, I'm not surprised. He he said he's never seen the this type of fighting reached the level of Belichick practice. Okay. Uh, so take that for whatever it's worth. And I, I want to read the Jeremy Chin quote because you posted it at, uh, last week. He said, Jeremy Chin said, we don't want to do that. It wastes a lot of good time. It's not a good thing to be fighting over and over again. We want to get the reps. We want to be able to practice and play ball at the end of the day. So that's not something that we're trying to do at all. And I couldn't agree more with him. And I, I just think like, again, I'm all for you have to have a level of emotion in this game. All right. And and it's why I hate the taunting rule the way it's currently f- constructed. Oh God. Um, and, and I just think like th- there's definitely emotion involved, but at the same time, you want to just, you know, keep that emotion in check because you're trying you're ultimately your goal is to improve your team, improve the cohesion of your roster. You want to look out for your guys. I totally get that. If it's one or two scrums, whatever, you just, you know. It happens. You say, hey, yeah, I don't like this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then you guys go your respective ways. But I just think the way it got manifested throughout the entire you know, couple of days while they were practicing, it, it went overboard for me. And I just fe- felt like, you know, those things can be prevented. And I'm not like you said, I'm not blaming Matt Rule for this. I'm not blaming Bill Belichick for this. I think ultimately the onus is on the players from both sides. Yeah. Uh, and and that that's just where I think I'll leave it at. Well, and this is where you need, and hopefully they have this by now. And because Carolina, I posted the clip of the fight between Cam Newton and and Josh Norman, and it, yeah, there's some hilarious postscript narrative from that. And they go 15 and one, by the way, after that happens. But what was interesting about that fight, and it was an in-house fight, you know, and it was not pretty. I mean, that, it could have led to something very bad for for the franchise quarterback. So I'm not making light of it, but not 15 seconds into it, you heard Thomas Davis's voice booming in that video, you know, saying, get the F back. This is stupid as S, you know, just, and, and that to me was what Carolina had during that era was that it, Ron didn't have to say anything. You know, it was much different back then. Ron had his leadership committee. You had Luke, you had TD, you had Olsen, you had Tolbert, you had Stewart, you had Cam, guys that were bona fide leaders on that defense at every level. And Carolina's coming in now and resetting things with an entirely new roster. It's something else Bulwer had talked about when I talked to him, that there's only a few guys left from 2017 on this team, like Moten and a couple of others, McCaffrey. So I think McCaffrey's part of that leadership committee now. Chin comes out and says, like you mentioned in the quote, this is not something that's productive. We, we can't do it. So hopefully they've got that core now in-house that can manage that because I'll be honest with you, this is a player's league and Billy, you know that. And and if you don't have that leadership in-house to be able to control that and channel that you're lost. No matter who your coach is, no matter how much screaming he does, how many laps you got to run, 
you got to have the bona fide reps who have the not only the 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 prestige that guys look up to you, but also you know the ability to command other guys in a respectful way on that roster not to do this stuff. You mentioned the fact that Mike Reese said Bill Belichick has never had a practice like this in all the time he's covered. I mean, I think that speaks to the fact that this team has won five games two years in a row now. They're frustrated. They're pissed off. They're trying to, you know, mark their territory here. And I get that. You better damn well win. I mean, that's all I'm saying because it's a silly look if you go up to New England and you start doing this kind of stuff there in practice and getting engaged in this kind of behavior and it doesn't have a net positive effect. And that that gets back to the reps and training camp, all the things we question right now that people get on us about, like, well, just trust it. You know, Matt Rule, you guys are not as smart as those guys. And this, I get it. You know, I'm not an NFL coach. I'm not a GM. I'm not an assistant coach. But I've seen these trends before, and so have you. So don't waste time. That's my only thing about it. Don't waste any time. Yeah, for sure. And we'll just leave it at that. Um, you know, Carolina is going to come back this week to Charlotte and uh, work on you know things they have to work on as a team, and uh, they'll prepare for Buffalo in their final preseason game. Uh, I do want to touch on the quarterbacks again. We again, we were not there, uh, but it does seem like a lot of the reporting suggests that Mayfield will be announced as a starter uh, very shortly. I saw a report from Joe Person of the Athletic, uh, our good friend. Um, so that's encouraging to hear, albeit I think it's a bit late. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, I think people know where I stand on this, and it's respectful, and it's it's not something I wish to put out there in a hysterical way because at the end of the day, if they come in and the offense is crisp and the starter, whomever it might be, and we think it's going to be Mayfield, as long as he has good rhythm and chemistry with his center, with protections, with lining people up, with coming out of the huddle, with the proper cadence, with the proper command of the verbiage, you know, I heard one player talk about this. I believe it was Mayfield on the Panthers radio network talking to, uh, I believe it was Kristen Balboni about learning the verbiage and how much, you know, you you, you got 10 word plays you've got to spit out. I, I, I worry about that a little bit in terms of what's lost here, in terms of time that's passed. Belichick has always said, though, and I, I will be fair, that he treats the first quarter of the season kind of like the preseason. And I guess when you had Tom Brady at your disposal for years, it's okay to do that because you can kind of put it into high gear into the months of you know October, November, December, which they always seem to do, even last year with Mac Jones. But I do think for this team, it's important to kind of get this thing solidified moving forward not only from a rep's perspective, that, that's the most important thing, Billy, is the practical application of what they're trying to do, which is get a new quarterback into the system in rhythm with the cadences, the play calls, the schematics, and also his receivers. You've got to be in step, not to mention the offensive line, like I said, and the center position, which is very much up in the air right now. But more importantly for your locker room, giving the veterans a sense of, okay, We've got our guy. Let's rally around him. And maybe in-house, Billy, I almost assume in-house they've got a good idea of what's going to happen here. As long as in the locker room, and this is what I've heard from players before, as long as in the locker room everybody's got understanding of what's being done, why it's being done, and it's got some purpose behind it, you're good. If there's any question marks lingering there, then you've got a problem. That's one thing I do concern myself with a little bit because we've seen shades of that with this regime. 
But I think it's time the name Mayfield the starter. I think it's been time. Move forward. Give him the majority of the reps in practice. I don't know what they'll do in this upcoming game. But with Matt Corral's injury, that changes the dynamics a little bit in terms of rep share. So, yeah, I think it's time. It's been time. Yeah, and uh, again, I think that this week also solidified Iquanu as the left tackle. Um, and So that was good to hear. Again, I still think it's a little late, but it is what it is, and it gives him time to prepare as the starting left tackle. I think there there has there been an announcement on the left guard. Um, I'm assuming it's Christensen, but I haven't heard anything formal like we heard with Iquanu. No, I don't think so. I'll have to follow up on that. But as of right now, on a Sunday when we record this, I haven't heard that Christensen is officially the left guard again. I'm assuming that's the way they're going to go. I mean, if I had to size it up right now, you know, this Bozeman injury, I, I, I have no idea. They said two to four weeks. Uh, he won't be 100% on that third week. So I would assume Elfline's your starting center, although Cade Mays had some action there. That's going to take some time. So I think it's a Quanu Christensen, Elfline, Austin Corbett, and then Taylor Moten. I, I would expect that to be your starting five going into Cleveland. But, hey, Billy, stay tuned. We never know. Yeah, for sure. And let's get into the game itself because we did have a chance to not only watch the broadcast live. Uh, I actually missed the first quarter. Um, I was you know, running some errands, but I did get back to watch the rest of the game. And, of course, I, like you, did watch the tape yesterday morning. Uh, so we have a lot of thoughts and let, let's get into it again. We're, we're not going to spend too much time. What happened in the fourth quarter? And we'll, we'll get into Matt Corral's performance and uh, some of the kind of pitfalls about the injury that occurred with him uh, as well. But first things first, John, um, I, I want to start with the defense because this defense, they played their second unit and they just continue to impress me. They were going up against the New England first team offense. And I, I get it. I don't know who's calling plays for the Patriots either, whether it's Patricia, Judge, Belichick, whoever. Uh, but they got some good players there. Mac Jones is, I mean, whatever you want to think of Mac Jones, he's still a pretty viable NFL starting quarterback, a good one in my opinion. And, you know, they had a very good offensive line. Uh, and I was just really impressed with this uh, defense again. Phil Snow and the, those defensive coachings, they've really just elevated the floor of this defense where you're not necessarily relying on you know the blue chip talent um for whatever blue chip talent that they do have i mean the depth it's it's getting very impressive i think totally agree i i was really impressed by the defense billy in this game and that's the one thing that that i'll lead with and we'll get the stock rising here in a little bit and i will definitely have a few names in mind for for the second line defense Uh, and this is how they started and by the way you had Barno and Haynes at the edge, Hoskins and Roy inside, Mosby, Stanford, who had some nice reps, by the way, and then Brandon Smith, who flashed a lot in this game. Those were your backers. And then Burris at safety. You had uh, Thomas Oliver, Keith Taylor, and then Hartsfield, who was plugged in at sort of a hybrid linebacker, joker, safety. He, he can do a lot. I, I like Hartsfield. I know he didn't have great tape at times last year. But he's a versatile piece. He's 5'11", 211. He's sort of a thick nickel guy, and I I like the ability for him to move around. So I thought these guys held their own. I mean, you look at the game in, in total, Billy. I mean, I don't have the first half breakdown. But for the game, the Patriots were 2 of 12 on third down. That's exceptional. I mean, that's Absolutely. to go in there against you know mostly first-team guys and then second-team guys 
That's great. Uh, red zone efficiency. They only got to the red zone once, the Patriots. They, of course, capitalized. But to, to hold them to that third down deficiency, if you will, and then they only get in the red zone once, I thought it was a great job. Um, you know, I, and again, we'll get to the individual players. I'll let you lead into that. But overall, I thought Snow did a nice job of getting the right guys in the right spaces, some good spot tackling on some of those short passes that New England likes to throw. And again, you're talking about a New England team that came out of the box. They had Andrew starting at center, Anwanu starting at right tackle, Ferenc at right guard. You had Myers and Asiasi in there. You had the two tight end set with Smith as well. Mac, Damian Harris, Parker, they had all their guys in there. And they, I think, went three and out a couple of times. So it was, it was good stuff by Phil Snow's unit. Yeah, and, that, and that's sort of what we've been talking about all summer is just the addition of some of the coaches like – Steve Wilkes and Ascaloni and Mm -hmm. uh, obviously Al Holcomb. He's still there, but he's a really good linebackers coach. And you can see the development of Brandon Smith where Greg Cosell, who, you know, a big fan of uh, both of us are big fans of, uh, he had some questions about Brandon Smith and I I feel like they're playing to his strengths. And that's, that's obviously a good thing. Um, I'll just leave the defensive performance there. Let's go to offense. Now again, uh, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold did not play. Uh, they felt uh, the coaching staff felt that the work that they received during the joint practices was enough for them to um, miss this week. And I'm actually fine with that. I think you know those live reps uh, in joint practice are probably more meaningful than uh, you know a preseason game. Uh, but let's start with you know the overall play of this offense, John. Uh, you know, quarterback they rotated PJ Walker and Matt Corral. Uh, I mean, John, we we spoke about it last week. A lot of people, uh, you know, especially on Twitter, some of our friends, Stephen Ruiz, uh, Charles McDonald, they were very dubious about what Matt Rule and the coaching staff or whoever is responsible. What's going on with PJ Walker in this entire quarterback charade? Like I said, this is another one. Part of the charade, as I like to call it, the backup <laughs> third string situation. Okay. Yeah. And you your reaction last week to some of the people who said, "Hey, maybe they're trying to feature PJ Walker in trade talks." I think that quickly evaporated this week. We know what PJ is; he's a turnover machine, and he turned it over how many times this week? Twice. Yep. Um, it's just it's not good enough from the quarterback position. It's again, he did some good things. He's you know he can make you know a decent amount of throws, but uh, you know when push comes to shove, coaches and NFL teams they hate quarterbacks who turn it over. And I'm just not sure, you know, PJ Walker is going to be the type of guy who can avoid that. Yeah, Billy, it. Um, I I don't understand at all why PJ Walker is uh, viewed by some around the league, and I respect those who put this opinion out, and I'm not diminishing their credentials at all. But I think when you, you're following this team every day like we do, I mean, almost obsessively because that's what we do here, you you can understand why it's a little bit of a, a silly notion that teams out there that are in need of a quarterback, including like Cleveland right now, who I think is shopping around, would, would take a risk and trade assets for P.J. Walker, who I think the world of in terms of his athleticism – I love what he did in that Detroit game back in 2020. I, there were some turnovers there. I get that in the red zone. But he came out and got the vertical stuff going, had a nice touchdown pass to Curtis Samuel in that game. But when he's had live action, even in that game, the turnovers are alarming. And for a Matt Rule team that values 
and this is where the the conundrum comes in for me. Matt Rule, you just know at his core, and Greg Cosell was the first to alert us about this when we was on our podcast. Was, hey, just be prepared because Matt Rule wants to run the ball 35 times a game. And concurrent with that, it's a little bit like the John Fox days. And I made the comparison to Foxy. And there's a lot of differences between those two guys. But the similarity is they are not wanting this team to turn the ball over frivolously. They want to put their defense in a winning position play a little bleed-the-clock game, if you will, be a run-first type of team. And I, look, I'm fine with that, but you can't continue to give P.J. Walker this many reps. And he had, I think he had 30 reps in this game. He turned it over twice. It's an alarming rate when you look at his track record of turnovers. And even he mentioned this after the game. The position he's in, he can't afford to put that kind of tape out there. And I feel for him. But th- this is all about the coaches putting the players in the best position to be successful. Matt Corral, you know, in this game, split reps with P.J. Walker. They both got about the same number. I think Corral got one more rep, actually, and then he gets hurt at the end of the game. But if the attempt here is to get P.J. ready for a viable backup role here, fair enough. If the attempt is to try to showcase him as trade bait, and I certainly hope that's not what they're thinking, (laughs) I think they're going to be morbidly disappointed with how this turns out. But – PJ's not the guy you're going to be able to lean on for good, clean, crisp production if he needs to come in. And I would say this, I think Darnold is still the better quarterback of the two. I agree. Uh, Darnold has a lot of turnovers in his uh, catalog there. It's it's just a little bit puzzling, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I think Sam Darnold is better than PJ Walker, whatever that's worth. Not only just talent-wise, just overall, even with his turnovers, I would rather have Darnold. Um, just because I think Darnold's is, you know, believe it or not, a better runner than Walker. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Other parts on the um, the offense, John, uh, we've spoke some about the offensive line. Um, l- let's get into it a little further because you spent some time yesterday highlighting Cade Mays, Deontay Brown. Can you just describe the dynamic between those two? Because some people were coming at you saying, why are you talking down on Deontay Brown? And obviously Brown... It looked like he got his foot stepped on by the center, and I'm not sure who the center was in that, on that play. I'm talking about the Corral injury. And if you watch it, it, it looks like he just got completely blown up, which is understandable if he did get stepped on. And again, I couldn't really tell, but um, it, it looked like it. I want you to give your assessment of not only Deontay Brown, but Cade Mays also. But let, let's just kind of start with the Corral injury um, and maybe have a discussion on Brown and uh, Cade Mays. Sure. Uh, Well, I I thought Deontay Brown, for what it's worth, actually had some decent reps in this game. I think the one that gets highlighted is the one we obviously are all looking at, the corral injury. And Did he get his foot stepped on? And I believe Mays was the center at that point. I have to go back and look. might have been Tecklenburg, but I think it was Mays. Um, It could have been. Could have been tripped. I don't – I mean, it's it's tough on that tight copy to tell – what happened there, but it's, it's very viable that could have happened, but did he have great leverage at the point of attack? No, he didn't. I mean, obviously I don't think foot or otherwise for, in terms of did, did Deontay Brown get tripped up or stepped on? He wasn't necessarily in a winning position on that rep. Um, But I thought there were some positive reps too. I mean, I, I highlighted one on tape where both Mays at center and Deontay at right guard had a really good pass pro rep against some pretty good defensive linemen there. And you saw some flashes there. Now, is Deontay looking the part? Not really. 
Uh, I think you get into that part of the game so late in the game. It's funny, Billy, because I think what set all that up was was it little Jordan Humphrey who won that punt coverage, flew down there and, and down the ball at like he, he tapped it out of the end zone. This is where the game of football is so much about inches because had that not happened, they wouldn't have been backed up to that point. And who knows what the strategy would have been from there in terms of maybe Corral doesn't get hurt. But things happen. It's the NFL. I thought Mays had some really good reps, Billy. And I was really happy that McAdoo and Rule featured him at center. Uh, He had a nice uh, sort of pull block there on the left side and came around, got his helmet, got his hat right on that linebacker. And 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 he took actually the brunt of it and actually fell down. But that's people like, well, he fell down on the rep. He got out there as a pulling center and, and did his job. And that's all you're looking for. He anchored very well against some zero technique in that game and pass protection. I like his athleticism a lot. He, he reminds me a little bit of Kevin Donnelly from back in the day. And, and Donnelly was a very versatile offensive lineman for Carolina. Donnelly did a lot of pulling in their power schemes back under Fox and Mike Mazur and, and Dan Henning. And he's got that punch. He's got that athleticism. He's a big guy at 6'6", good arms, uh, good length. He He's really a fascinating prospect. And I'm glad that you know our buddy, once again, Greg Cosell, on this very podcast sort of highlighted Cade Mays on our post-draft show because – it gave me some reason to go back and look at his Tennessee tape, and you could see that. He's very versatile. I know they like that word in Carolina, but he's played tackle. He he was supposed to be Andrew Thomas's replacement at Georgia, and he actually was a five-star guy coming out of high school. He's had a lot of attention on him since his high school days, so he's used to the spotlight. SEC lineman, played against the best of the best, obviously, and I thought he had some great tape against the New England Patriots. Absolutely, yeah. I'm really pleased with – uh, you know, Cade Mays's uh, play, and th- this is the type of thing that I like. Um, w- what they do in the draft, and it, for whatever we think about Deontay Brown, uh, for whatever we think about the Trey Smith situation last year, just take some shots on these, um, you know, players in the fifth and sixth round. And I'm glad they did decide to do that same thing um, this year uh, with Cade Mays. And I think he could be a Trey Smith type of uh, had that type of impact. Um, but obviously, Carolina's offensive line is a little more set at this point than. Uh, what the Chiefs were going through last year. But, all right, final thing I want to get to in this game, and it kind of just reverberates a a lot of things about Matt Rule and just his approach to coaching, okay? And again, I'm not trying to bash a guy. I I think it's very pertinent to bring this up because it occurred in the game, and it we also know it happened in practice. So, Tay Hayes, who's had a very, like, encouraging... Uh, camp and preseason as far as I'm concerned he takes back a pick six does a really nice job of reading and reacting to it um, and takes it back to the house the defensive players who are not playing and are not dressed they go and celebrate in the end zone after the score and there's like four or five flags down which I personally I don't I don't care about it okay I, I think celebration penalties are just I, I think it's crazy that you have to flag someone for celebration unless it goes overboard and I don't think this went overboard, okay? That's just my stance on it. But rules are rules, and you have to follow them, even if it's preseason. My issue is, a few weeks ago, you know, Hollywood Higgins caught a touchdown in practice and did a um, bowling, I don't know, some type of celebration in the end. So, okay, we'll just leave it at that. And Yeah, rolling out the red carpet, Billy. Rolling out the red carpet. Yeah, man. And that 
forced Matt Rule to stop practice and make you know players run laps or sprints or whatever. Yeah, man. Is the message getting across to these players that just because you do something wrong in practice, that the punishment you you know leave it to them maybe isn't going to work because this wouldn't have been an issue if they knew not to do it. And they clearly they did, you know, commit this type of celebration penalty in practice and he tried to punish them by running sprints and then the message didn't get across again. I'm fine with celebration penalties in general, but it just, I think there's just a disconnect when it comes to this coaching staff. And then you see in this game, like 20 players who are dressed in street clothes, go out and celebrate with them. It, I don't know, John. I, I think you had some strong thoughts as well. Well, let's kind of dissect this a little bit to make sure we give it its proper context. And I, I think you set it up perfectly. Um, but let me add some depth to it here. And, and let's also try to be very nuanced in how we look at it because that's what we take pride in doing here. We're not just screaming at the top of our lungs, oh, Matt Rule sucks, his coaching staff sucks, blah, blah, blah. No, there's always a purpose behind how we look at things. So before the haters come out and say, oh, there's John and Billy again taking a dump on this coaching staff. No, no, no. No, This is just talking football, okay? So what happened during practice here in Carolina was essentially Higgins caught one of the more electric touchdown passes of camp. You don't see any video of it because nobody's allowed to film anything, even fans. But the Panthers did post a clip of it, I think, and I – don't remember seeing much activity in terms of the post <laughs> script of it or the 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 actual wide view of it. But what happened was Higgins, before the celebration even happened, he held the ball out before he got to the end zone. And Rule said that that's what we're punishing these guys for. Or I didn't think he used the word punish, but make them run because we don't hold the ball out. That's not the kind of team we are. Fair enough. I mean, if that's something you want to make a point of emphasis on, I get it. You've seen some fumbles at the goal line. You've seen guys drop the ball. Okay, fair enough. Um, And then the celebration happens in the practice where they roll out the red carpet. I've heard people around the league tell me that (laughs) even scouts and other guys are like, I I think he was more pissed off that not only did Higgins hold the ball out, but there was a big celebration and they're trying to get shit done. And Matt's like, all right, I'm, I'm fed up. Go run. And I think a lot was made of that, but that's part of what you got to deal with as a head coach. When you, right after a touchdown, are making your guys run for that, you have to be accountable to a certain degree in answering why that is. And you have to be more accountable to your locker room to make sure they understand, here's a lesson we're going to learn here. Let's not repeat this. I don't want to see anybody holding the ball out before we get to the end zone, and I certainly don't want to see any celebrations after that. Well, Billy, what happens in this game? Tay Hayes, who had a really good game, by the way, from App State, jumps the route, great play, takes it to the house. He holds the ball out around the five-yard line. And then you see guys from the sideline that are in street clothes come out and celebrate. Some of the veterans come out as well. I have zero problem with that in a preseason game. Totally agree. Zero problem with it. That's You're trying to establish yourself as an exciting young team that can compete in in an arena like New England. And for a lot of these young guys, Billy, People are like, oh, this is pathetic. You know, New England fans are going to say that. But for this young team to be in Gillette Stadium against those helmets, against the brand that is the New England Patriots, if you will, that's a big moment for Tay Hayes. That's a big moment for all the guys you saw celebrating. And I'm sure they heard it during practice from these fans. So I don't have any problem with them talking to the fans either or, you know, mouthing off to people in the front row. We've seen players take a lot of shit from a lot of fans over the years. I'm on the player side on this. 
But it does raise the question that does the lesson you tried to preach to your team about we're not holding the ball out and we're not celebrating afterwards. I think it was more about holding the ball out. You see it happening the following week in a game. Uh, yeah, it, it like you said, are we getting some practical lessons that translate into better results? Because what I would imagine is Tay Hayes in the middle of this practice, and I think he was on the roster during that Higgins practice we mentioned, if he is seeing what's happening here, and I'm sure there was a point of emphasis made in meetings after this, I'd assume he would take that touchdown back and make sure it's tucked high and tight all the way to the goal line. And then he walks it to the ref and hands him the ball. But this is the NFL. It's a player's league. And I think that's what you got to remember that I know Matt Rule's trying to do the right thing. I respect that. He's trying to coach his team with points of discipline that keep them going in the right direction in terms of production and, and not losing yards out of penalties. But in a preseason game, and I don't think Matt had any egregious reactions after that, I think he pulled Hayes aside on the side. He pulled somebody aside and had a quick word. It didn't look like it was a, a fun word, but that's part of a coach. You know, We'll see if this translates. I don't know. It's It's way too early for me to – like indict the coach on it, but it was interesting. I will say that, that, okay, you go from one week where you're making that a point of emphasis and you speak out to the media about it, and then they come right back and the same thing that they got penalized for in practice happens in live game. It is what it is, man. Yeah, and we'll just leave it at that. Again, I, I again celebration penalties, I do not care about. It is what it is, like you said, and we'll just leave it there. Uh, all right, let's transition out to our stock rising and stock falling. We will start with stock rising like we usually do. Uh, John, what do you have for me? Brandon Smith, linebacker, Penn State. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting to watch him. I, I figured he would play a little bit on the edge at that like Leo position they feature with LeVu, but he's been kind of a stack backer. They've had him inside there at, at Mike, at, at Will a little bit, at, at Say. They've moved him around. And he reminds me a little bit, and again, this is sacrilege to a lot of people. I get it. But he has a Thomas Davis sort of flair to him. When TD was here in his first camp, he was wearing number 47, and they played him at the Joker position, which you know he was able to rove around and do a lot of things. And I think Smith has that ability. And I credit Rule and Snow and the guys who put together the defensive game plan, including Al Holcomb, the, the guy who coaches the linebackers. I believe Saravo's his name as well from Baylor. I give them a lot of credit to get him in the right position. He came on a weak side blitz, and he screams through there. And I think Nixon was on the line at that point, Davy Nixon, 54, and he was a big part of setting that up. But he screamed in, and he had a violent sack on the quarterback, and I thought that was really impressive. So I'll start with Brandon Smith, Billy. I thought his stock was rising. Uh, on offense, I'll go right back to Cade Mays. Uh, again, I, I've talked a lot about Cade this week, and I, I think – you know, when you get good advice from good people like Cosell on, hey, here's a guy that, you know, I scouted during, you know, his pre-draft process. Keep an eye on him. I thought he did everything you could ask for from a guy who has been at every position in college. They put him in its center and he held his own. So those are two guys I can think of right now. Yeah, and I'll start with the offense, too. I'll actually go to a couple players. Um, it's the running back room um, and just the, the backfield room, two guys in particular. Spencer Brown and uh, Giovanni Ricci. Ricci looks like he's really carved out a role as a, uh, you know, H back slash tight end. Uh, he had that one big catch from PJ Walker in the first quarter to set him up for the field goal. 
And I just think he's overall improving. And, you know, he's a type of, um, God, what's that guy's name? Uh, you know, he, he played in the, under the late stage Fox early year. Rivera, I, I just 47 was his name. Richie Brockle. Richie yeah, Brockle, baby. Annexation of Puerto Rico guy. Yes. The Texas. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, good, he good comp. Of, yeah. He sort of reminds me of, of Brockle in some ways, just overall of what uh, the type of versatility he can provide. And, and, and the other guy, um, like I said, Spencer Brown, he's running really hard. And I think that's a credit to him. And uh, whether he does make this team as a fourth running back or another team in the league, I think he has a chance to really just uh, stick out for uh, for a long time. And I'm glad you mentioned Brandon Smith. He, he's certainly one guy I would have mentioned. Um, but for me, it's going to be Kenny Robinson. I understand a lot of the, you know, he is responsible, in my opinion, for some of the fights that went down just reading the reports. And I understand, you know, when you go through that situation, it's very tough. You know, Scott Fitter, he tried to come back on the field to Matt Rule and Scott Fitter waved him off. And I'm sure he was feeling really down in that moment. But for him to, you know, come back in the game, uh, you know, on Friday night and have and play really well, I think that's just a credit to him and just his overall mentality of not letting things just get to him Um and that just again, I think that really speaks well to you know not only his chances overall on the roster, but just uh, maybe making an impact you know on defense too, because you know we're going to see a lot more diverse safety looks from this team. So, you know, credit yeah. to uh, Kenny Robinson for bouncing back. And again, I I do think that he is partially responsible, especially from what I read um, about some of the fights that went on. Uh, but for him to bounce back, I think that's uh, that, that just let's keep it football only man and let's just play and i think he did a good job of that i I agree just to to follow up with that point robinson had a great tackle on a screen that could have gone a long way good open field tackle he had four tackles in the game he also defends to pass i mean this is a good bounce back moment for kenny robinson and i would hope that the coaching staff looks at that including fitterer as well in the entire front office and says you know what that's what we want to see we talked to him we didn't make a snap reaction we didn't cut the guy on the spot Shit happens. Um, it's a it's a volatile practice. Obviously, you don't want to be taunting a guy when he gets hurt. Uh, that's something I, I would even say is bad. But at the end of the day, production was good there, and I was really impressed with 27's tape. All right, stuck falling. I'm going to start with one guy, and we can kind of build on this conversation a little bit. It, it has to be for me, Terrace Marshall. All right, and I, I just want to see more out of him because right now Shai Smith is outplaying him. And they were both second round, or excuse me, they were both from the same draft class. You know, Marshall had a lot of expectations coming in because he was drafted in the second round. I, I want to see more from Marshall. I don't want him to end up being one of these field second round picks, wide receivers that we've seen over the years, like, you know, a Col- Kerry Colbert or Dwayne Jarrett. I want him to really you know, make his own mark. But, you know, what kind of concerned me, and again, I don't think it was necessary for Matt Rule to call him out publicly like that. I think there's a way to kind of manage a situation a little better. I certainly agree that he has to improve, and that's why I have him as a stock falling. But I'm not sure it helps anyone when the coach is publicly calling you out like that, the way he did, just saying stuff like he's got to be able to practice. You know, he essentially went out as far as saying that Shai Smith is outplaying him, which, again, that's for us to come to the conclusion of. But I think the players deserve a little uh, better kind of protection from their coaches. And I understand some players take it, you know, whatever way they want to. Uh, but I just felt like the coach could have probably handled that a little better in the media. 
Yeah, let me let me read the quote for you. Quote, there really isn't a plan for Marshall. He practices on Monday and finished it, but was sore the next day and felt he couldn't go. We thought he could go today. The medical staff worked on it, but they couldn't get him ready. We need Terrace to start practicing. We need him to step up. Shy's had a great camp. Higgins had a great camp. Zilstra's out with a hamstring, so we need him to step up because he was having a great camp until he got hurt. Billy, it's funny because, like, before they even announced Marshall was out, I got a text from our friend Matt Bowen. And Bowen's doing some work for ESPN.com right now on some camp guys. And he was asking me, hey, how did Terrace Marshall look? How's he been looking? I haven't been there. And I said, well, you know, I was at camp. I thought he looked great. I, I, I said, you know, power slot. That's what I think of with Terrace Marshall. He's a guy they're going to try to line up in the slot, move him around. And they did that at camp. He's a big physical 6'2 guy. He's got sort of that Musin Muhammad build to him. And he can box you out in the red zone. And Bowen said that's what he saw at tape at LSU is that, you know, putting him in the slot, giving him some versatile looks. And we talked about that in our pre-draft analysis of Marshall, Billy, you and I, is they featured him everywhere at the X, at the Z, inside at Y. And he can do a lot for you all over the field. I think it's important for him to get some reps. I, I understand Rule's frustration, but I think it's interesting to voice that publicly in the way he did. I totally agree. I, I definitely understand why he's upset. And I, I think it's justified. I just think in this context, I think he should be maybe a little more sensitive to uh, just you know, elaborating on, you know, his frustrations with to the media. I think that should be because if you recall, uh, Bill Belichick is obviously coming under similar scrutiny about Kendrick Bourne and why he didn't play. And Bourne was a really standout receiver for them. For the Patriots last year, they signed a big money deal in free agency. Uh, but Belichick just kind of just let it be, just like, hey, we're going to play the best, best guys. And, you know, it is what it is, stuff like that. Be- Belichickians, as I like to call them. And I think that Matt can handle a situation like this a little similarly, just say, hey, you know, Terrace is out injured and uh, we'll just have to handle it when he gets back, you know, healthy, yeah. something like that. And I think that is probably a better way to, you know, voice some of, you know, the issues surrounding sure. his absence. I agree. Tell, tell me what you think about this. And this is something I've thought about. I went back and looked at some of the old clips. And again, people will say, you know, it's post-game press conference. Don't pay too much attention. Well, not so fast because the, the job of the NFL head coach, and and I give Rule a lot of respect for his days at Temple and Baylor, but I think there, there's an interesting approach he takes here. And it's been this way from, I think, day one. And you uh, tell me what you think if I'm off the mark here. But he's a Coughlin Parcells guy. He has talked glowingly about Parcells for years and that he was kind of his hero as a coach. He coached under Tom Coughlin. And those guys were notorious for using the via- using the media to a certain degree as a vehicle to get a message across, subtle or otherwise. Parcells was the master at it, but he was gr- he was so damn good, Billy, at the psychological, I don't want to say manipulation, but the psychological portion of being a head coach, what buttons to push, which buttons to not push. And I think maybe, and I don't want to get in rules head, but I think part of it, we've seen him do this with guys like Newton last year. We've seen him do it at times with Teddy Bridgewater. We've seen him do it with, with Sam back and forth. He'll glowingly talk about Sam, but then he'll point out things. We've seen him talk about the defense and a light that wasn't so positive when maybe it wasn't the defense's fault. But it's an interesting way to approach the media. I think, Matt, this is just what he is. This is the guy he is in terms of messaging. He's not going to be afraid to get up there. And if he wants to try to get a message across, I I think there's a methodology behind what he's doing here. 
it's just got to carry some weight. And hopefully it's the right message to a guy like Terrace Marshall and it doesn't hit him the wrong way. But it's an interesting thing to examine, I think, Billy. Absolutely. And again, there's a reason why I have Marshall as a stock falling. And I think for that very reason, he's he has to get on the field. This was the issue with him coming out of LSU. He had some durability question marks. And for other guys who are performing well, like you said, Higgins and Shai Smith, Marshall has to come in there and really prove that he is you know, worthy of not only just you know playing time, but maybe even a roster spot down the line. Totally. I, I don't think there's any question he's going to make the roster this year. But will he be active on game days? I mean, there were a couple games last year where he was in healthy scratch. Yep. And I don't think that this coaching staff, in particular this head coach, is afraid of making him a healthy scratch, no matter the optics involved. Um, so, I would say get. I would say get prepared for that. Right. I, I'd be, I, it's I totally one of those agree. situations where I mean, fans are going to be like, you, I can already envision Week One coming around, and it you know around eleven thirty a.m. Eastern they they release the inactives and there's going to be maybe a healthy Marshall that is scratched. I mean, healthy, relatively speaking, considering he's dealing with something right now. But you're you're going to see that throughout the season, guys that get deactivated and an overreaction to it. I think just prepare yourself, fans, because you're going to have games like that where Marshall is not considered by the staff to be the best matchup guy against maybe a shy Smith or if Zilstra makes a team, or especially Higgins, who has been probably the most consistent guy at yep. that three spot all throughout camp. So I, I think you're spot on with your stock falling here. Okay, why don't you close it out for us and give me your stock falling? Well, I think we can point to Deontay Brown, and I, I don't want to pick on him too much because, again, I thought there were some pretty decent reps there, but that was not a great moment. But I think it's it's P.J. Walker. And P.J. said it himself in the post-game presser. I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was something along the lines of, I've got to do better. This is not something I can do, turning the ball over twice in my position. Uh, and he's in a weird position right now. Uh, is he going to be the third quarterback on this roster? Is, for for some, in, in some way, is he going to be the backup if they find a way to unload Darnold? I mean, I heard, you know, Pat Kerwin and Jim Miller talking about this on Sirius this week, and Miller brought up the idea of Darnold being dealt, and Kerwin kind of, Kerwin chuckled at it and he said, uh, have you seen his tape? Like, I mean, yeah, he's played a lot of games, Jim, but like who, who's, who's taken on that money? Carolina, <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, Pat knows his ball. Pat, I mean, he knows the league too. He knows he's connected with guys like Fitter and others. And I think that's a challenge for Carolina. So PJ Walker to me, if he's trying to cement himself as the backup here or a guy who's going to get a Jersey on game day or a guy that can move on and, and have an opportunity to be a starting quarterback or a backup quarterback elsewhere, it, it wasn't his best tape, and I get it. You know, he's an athletic guy, and he's got some good zip to the ball. I like him a lot, but I think this was an opportunity to put some quality drives together, and he turned the ball over, and, and that's something you can't do at quarterback. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, well, all right, everyone. Uh, thank you again for joining us on another episode of The Roar. We have one more preseason week left. I believe the Panthers will cut their roster to 80 soon, so be on the lookout for – uh, them cutting five players uh, very shortly. Uh, but next week they will take on the Buffalo Bills and the Bills have, you know, they have a, everyone makes, uh, you know, points out the Ravens preseason winning streak, but the Bills, they have uh, another pretty long preseason winning streak. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure how Matt and company will handle the starters and whatever, um, but it's going to be a tough test because Buffalo, in my opinion, I said it yesterday when I was watching their game, uh, they have the deepest roster in the NFL. And I don't yeah, think yeah. it's close. So this is going to be a great opportunity. Again, 
uh, for this organization to really just get a template of um, not only uh, experience, but just different looks. And uh, so it should be a productive week for them uh, this week as well. So, uh, John, any final words? Yeah, to, to just dovetail off what you said, it's a big week. It's it's Buffalo week. And Carolina has seen this team before as recently as last December. And Billy, you're spot on with their roster. It is too deep at every position. I mean, they've got guys on their second string, especially in their rotation on their defense, that could be starters elsewhere. It's a great test. It's going to be a great opportunity. And that's how you have to look at these opportunities in the preseason. It's not about certainly the final score. It's about little moments on tape you can take away where you see guys like Cade Mays and, uh, you know, Pleasance and others at the offensive line position going against, you know, starters at times. And on the flip side, seeing guys like Brandon Smith on defense, Julian Stanford at linebacker, uh, Kenny Robinson, Miles Hartsfield, Roy, other guys that are second team guys go against starting caliber offensive lines in New England. It's going to be the same in Buffalo. Now, how they format this playing time structure between both teams, I, I don't know how it's going to look for Buffalo. I think Carolina, from what I'm hearing, they'll, you'll see a good bit of Mayfield early on. You'll see some Darnold. Uh, I don't know how much. I'd be careful. I mean, after what happened to Matt Corral, I, I think, you know, let's let's get a few good reps in and let's focus on practice, making sure we're getting the guys who are going to be the starting five on the line the quarterback and your core, give them the reps they need in practice. But it's a big week. They trim that roster down coming up. And I'm looking forward to watching this last preseason game. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it sure will. Uh, Thank you again, everyone, for joining us. And we will, like we did this week and last week, provide a full um, recap of not only the training camp week, uh, but also the uh, preseason game uh, against Buffalo. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com